a year ago, I was defeated in my attempt to rule the world by four pathetic podcasts. I have returned to enact my revenge on these foolish mortals. This time, utilizing the vastness of the dream country and the power of the endless known as dream, I will defeat my opponents. This time, the podcasts of Married with Comics, Unpacking the Power of Power Pack, Secret Wars and Beyond, and Resurrections, and Adam Warlock and Thanos <sighs> podcast will fall. <laughs> now let us see what Unpacking the Power of Power Pack is up to. Hmm. I think I have made things too easy for these three. Let's see how they handle some computer and recording challenges. Oh, audacity. Yes, my lord Mephisto. Execute command Podcrasher. Executing. Randomizing recording speeds. Volume controls. Filtering levels. Inserting demonic laughter. <laughs> Listener to our podcast, Jeff and Rick present Unpacking the Power of Power Pack. Where we journey through each issue of the most underrated Marvel series of the 80s while drinking beer. Analyzing awesome and amazing dreamlike adventures and absorbing alcohol. I am Jeff. And I am Rick. And I'm Sean. A dream is random banter your heart makes. Random banter time, guys. Tell me stories of what's happening and where exactly are we? Well... We're going to tell a lot of stories, I think. Um, we're telling stories because Mephisto has dunked us in the middle of Storyland with Dream. Again? Yes. What is, does he not have a hobby that he can, oh, we are the hobby. We are the hobby. <laughs> just once a year he plops in and he's like, hey, I have a witchy voice from a 60s movie or something. I don't remember what he sounds like. Actually, that's exactly what's happening. Once a year he decides he's going to do this and mess with us. Oh, so it's trick or treat, but the treat is a trick. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah. Well, happy Halloween, guys. Woo-hoo. The good news is, is that is that he did this, and we got stuck with Sean, which is awesome because he's so much better than Greg. Oh, uh, yeah, infinitely. Yeah, I didn't want to be the one to say it, but I'm glad that it was brought up. I mean, you're you're kind of uh, it, when I look at your shows, you're kind of like the the Gilligan to his Skipper. I'll take that. Yeah, I, I prefer to think of myself as the the Mrs. Hal to his Mr. Hal, but you know that's because he's my sugar daddy. Mm. <laughs> Are you the um, Marianne to his professor. I'd be Marianne. I, I, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I'm okay with that. I, you know, and it's, and it's funny because so Greg was on your show last year for Mephisto mm-hmm. versus, and That's this cool. year you've got me. You know, thus competing, completing the pulp to pixel uh, cast. However, Greg is not returned because what he told me last time is the deal he made with Mephisto to get out was he did seven minutes in hell with him in a closet. And Mephisto never called him back, so, so I think it's me. Yeah, I'm, I'm up this time. Oh man, that explains a lot of the heart, uh, broken heart emojis that I've been seeing on his Twitter feed. <laughs> oh yeah, he's he's crestfallen. It was definitely I don't know if it's called ghosting when Satan does it to you, but you know yeah. he's just not calling Greg back. I, I, I would consider, consider it a little bit of ghosting, but there's also a lot of sulfur smell in there too. The sulfuring. Uh, so what have you been up to, sir? Uh, so I have been uh, podcasting like crazy. So uh, Greg Arujo, the, the aforementioned uh, Mephisto-loving Greg Arujo, and I co-host uh, Secret Orders and Beyond, and we've been covering the 
really awesome Squadron Supreme miniseries by Mark Grewald and Paul Ryan. We actually just recorded the last episode of that show. We covered issue 12 just today. So I'm feeling a little bit melancholy. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm in the mood for some upbeat comics. Of course, I wanted to go right to Neil Gaiman, you know, who was known for his <laughs> upbeat and uplifting comics. Yeah, I think his full name is Neil Mr. Feelgood Gaiman, right? Yeah, that, that, that sounds about right. Yeah. I, I can see where you're going with that. I mean, you're looking for something light and fluffy and, and, and you know, enjoyable. I, this is enjoyable, but there's nothing light and fluffy about it. Well, actually, there is something light and fluffy about it now that I think about it. <laughs> Isn't the one that we're covering called, like, Happy Days? It is, but it's about Richie's brother who goes upstairs in the first episode and never returns. <laughs> yeah, they had to wall off that section of the house. And then uh, Fon, it, it, I saw some outtakes from Happy Days where Fonz was always like, Hey, Mrs. Cotta, or whatever her name was. Mrs. C, Cunningham, there we go. Hey, Mrs. C, what's that smell? They're like a dead cat in the alley? And uh, she was just like, yes, a dead cat. Go home, Fonzarelli. <laughs> Scary, man. The episode where Fonzie shows up with a new leather jacket, that got yeah. dark. No. <laughs> I was yeah. like, oh, what happened to Richie's brother? Oh, I know. Why does why does the back of his coat look like the Necronomicon? <laughs> <laughs> and on that twisted, twisted, twisted place. Um, yeah, I... I wanted to say thank you guys very much for doing the Squadron Supreme because I never had an opportunity to read that back in the day. I was always kind of interested in Squadron Supreme. I, I always... When I was a kid, before I really, you know, looked at a lot of the backstory of the characters, I just was kind of going off of what was in the official handbook of the Marvel Universe. I was really intrigued by, you know, Hyperion and and, and Nighthawk and, and those characters. And I always really liked them. I thought they, were, they looked very cool and I thought they had cool designs. And then, you know, the farther I went and found out more backstory about them, I'm like, I don't like any of these people. But <laughs> as you've been doing this, this, uh, run i've been reading along with you i finally got a little impatient and said i just want to finish reading this i need to read it in one fell swoop i i don't want to segment it i've got it all here but it has been enjoyable going through with you and seeing how you have been and you know taking it in and looking at it one episode at a, or one issue at a time and then discussing it so i've kind of been along with you on part of that journey so thank you very much for doing it, it it's a it's a very cool series and I, I i've enjoyed reading through it with you guys I think it definitely has a place in in the lore and um, in the history of comic book creations, but it, it does have some parts that just don't fit in today's world. Oh yeah, it's definitely got some anachronisms and some things that we have we have left behind, thankfully, societally. But it is yeah. I look, I'm reading it for the first time as we podcast, which is kind of the hook of the series, right? It's like Greg's Greg read it when it came out, has loved it for 30 years. I'm reading it for the first time really right before the episode so that it's really fresh. And like I said, we just covered issue 12 and going in, I was like, Oh, this is a comic from Marvel in the 1980s written by the guy who wrote like good old American captain America. It'll end really sweetly with everything resolved. It surely it won't be a body count in the double digits. <laughs> and so I was not emotionally prepared for the end of that series. <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, you'll, you'll hear it on that episode. I'm a little bit like, wait, what, <laughs> what, what was on the spinner racks in 1985? <laughs> Great. Greg's been kind of just, uh, you know, pulling you along. Oh, just you wait. Oh, oh, you like that character? Oh, you really are invested in that character? Oh, that's so cute. Yeah, he's my own personal Mephisto. So, uh, yeah, he has been he has been torturing me the whole way through. <laughs> Doesn't matter what we've been up to. No, I've, I've been uh, apparently pulled from my life and put into a realm of whoosh. And I'm a little fuzzy and confused, but uh, I'll roll with it. I'm a professional. All right. 
let's move on to the reason we're here, which is Mephisto. Welcome to Mephisto vs. Podcasters 2, Podcasters in Dreamland, or as I like to call it, Podcasters 2, Electric Dream Boogaloo. And I would say welcome back to you, Sean, but under the circumstances, I guess we would be screaming and running around in the hopes of running. Can you please give us the two-sentence replay from last episode? Uh, no, I don't think I can. I remember something about Mephisto capturing the Fantastic Four due to tampering of the mail or something, but after that, it's just all a big haze. It's as though those events had so little impact on the world that the universe itself made the memories of it fade into obscurity. And I don't know where the heck I am right now, so why don't you give me a beer so that I can really make this annual nightmare happen? My pleasure, my friend. I don't know if you brought a beer with you, Sean? Oh, I've got a beer. Excellent, I can't wait to hear. For our beer that we've got on our side, I found one that I thought, ah, this will kind of work out pretty well since there are three of us. Mm-hmm. We're having a little bit of... A three-way, you might say. So I brought... Some people might not say that, Rick. So I brought Fort George three-way IPA. For another reason, too, there are three cats on the front. (laughs) Oh, they're buddy cats. They're in a band. They're wearing flannel and long-sleeve t-shirts and sweaters, ironic sweaters. And and they're, they're playing instruments. One cat's looking smug, playing a triangle, and another one's playing a tambourine, and another's playing a saxophone. This is going to be the worst music you've ever heard. Probably going to be a lot like cats screaming. <laughs> Maybe, but they all look really happy and pretty content with themselves. So I guess good going for them. I like the blue that's on the label. That's kind of cool looking. Well, and this, is, <laughs> this is a three-way IPA 2019. It combines all the fruit forwardness of a hazy, but with the classic touch of bitterness you find in West. West Coast IPA. The result is a bright citrus fruit bomb that doesn't finish too heavy or sweet, and it also doesn't hold back on the hops. As an added layer to this year's collaboration, the dominant dry hop will rotate through three-way IPA season. You'll be able to see which hop is dominant by checking the bottom of your can. Okay. Three-way IPA is in collaboration with the Roos Brewing and Cloud Burst Brewing. Got the Idaho hops. Yes, it does. Idaho 7. I like story time on it as well, which is Fort George, distributed only in the Pacific Northwest. So, sorry everybody <laughs> that's not immediately where we are for not being able to uh, get access to this beer. Maybe it's in uh, specialty shops. Sometimes. Hey, uh, since while well, we open these and pour these, why don't you tell us about your beer, Sean? Uh, so I actually, I really prepped for this. In fact, I might have put more time in this than I did in reading the issue <laughs> because I was really <laughs> excited about this part of the show. Uh, I'm all in favor of a show that combines comics and alcohol. It's, it's, they're two of my hobbies. Uh, so I, we have a specialty shop out here the, for beers in particular, and I went to it and I purchased Meowza, which is from a Jester King Brewery. It's out of Austin, Texas, and it is a best bitter uh, partridge ale. And so it's basically like a bitter English ale, like kind of like a, a Newcastle, not quite as brown, you know, but like a Newcastle beer mixed with a little bit of a Seattle craft beer, which I like to I like to describe it as Newcastle brewed in a litter box of Pop Rocks. So it's really <laughs> <good>. <laughs> I'm you're gonna have to send me a picture of that because I am very, very curious to see what that is like. Yeah, the cover is great. It's a it's a black and white cat with a somewhat resting bee face staring out at you holding a piece of pizza and like an occult symbol. It is the weirdest thing ever and it made me immediately love this beer in addition to the title. And actually it is good. It's it's a little bitter, but I'm okay with that in my beers. And it's got a little bit of an English 
beer aftertaste, but again, I'm I'm okay with that. I, yeah, I want to check that beer out. I that sounds really good, and I love the description of it. Jeff, why don't you go ahead and describe what we're seeing here? This is it's got a lovely color to it. It is it's translucent. Light gets through it, but not a huge amount. But it is this really nice kind of like it's a haze. It is very very hazy, and uh, man, the smell of it smells really good. A lot of f- very fruity. It really fruity, very fruity, citrusy kind of smell. Uh, I haven't. Well, I kind of had a little sip, but not really. But yeah, the so far this is pretty great i keep holding it up to the light because i can kind of get a little bit of it's weird because like the core of it is really dark and the outside lets the light through at least from where i'm at yeah i I agree with that i've done my taste of it and i've it's it's got the hot bitterness in there but it's it's tempered really well with the citrus so we have our beers in place yep uh we have some jokes that we have cut out of this episode so let's just move on to the opening credits jeff if you please Sandman, issue number 18, August 1990, A Dream of a Thousand Cats. Credits, writer, Neil Gaiman, penciler, Kelly Jones, inker, Malcolm Jones III, letterer, Todd Klein, colorist, Robbie Bush, editor, Karen Berger. Featuring Sandman, Morpheus, a.k.a. Dream of the Endless. Our story begins with an indistinguishable couple who are heading to bed. The wife wants the husband to leave the kitchen door open so that their little kitten can get in the litter tray. The kitten in question is a white, fluffy hairball with shining big eyes. And as the night comes, the kitten is visited by an older orange tabby outside who informs the kitten that she is here and tonight's the night. Jeez, can you be a little bit more vague? Just you wait. This boss kitty does help the young feline break out of the house by pointing out a partially opened window. But it does not help us, the reader, figure anything out. I was especially confused when the large tabby cat didn't talk about hating Mondays and eating lasagna, but but that was separate from the actual comic. So after the kitten escapes, the two cats stalk off into the night, talking about this mysterious she and the event that's occurring. Apparently, this event is a big thing because as they are walking, more and more cats are joining them. We should mention what we are seeing here. The cats are drawn very cat-like, not anthropomorphized in any way, and the talking they are doing is occurring through thought bubbles. The feeling is that this is very normal, like we are getting a peek into the world of cats. That's a good point. There is a way that their conversations occur as well, such as deference to older or unknown cats in a more formal language. What we learn is as the cats travel is that she has a message, but no one is sure what it is or what she is like. The ambiguity is driving me batty! Uh, shouldn't that be catty? Huh? Eventually, the cats congregate in an old graveyard, which is spooky awesome. And it's filled with leaning and broken headstones and mausoleums. And then suddenly, from a tree, comes an old, travel-worn Siamese cat. She nimbly jumps onto the head of a stone angel, much like me nimbly hopping over my daughter's toys in the middle of the night. She is using the angel as a podium on which to speak to the amassed clouder of cats below. She begins her story by addressing the assembled with, Sisters, brothers, good hunting. This is a very chatty story, as most of Neil Gaiman's stories are, so we'll try to summarize this all as best we can. The speaker used to live in a house with humans, like many of the cats assembled here, where she was considered their plaything, possession, and toy. She lived a pampered life in exchange for some of her affection and presence. Little enough, really, for what they offered. But one day, when the season was upon her, she snuck out and found herself a good old-fashioned tomcat. And, well, this is a G-rated show, so you know what happened next. They sat on a garbage can and learned how to play Connect Four? Yes, yes, Rick, the cats learned how to play Connect Four. Um, that could actually be a euphemism, I guess. Well, anyway, 
Some months later, this purebred blue point Siamese gave birth to a litter of domestic short hairs. And this does not please the humans. Oh no. The speaker loved her little kittens, but the male human did not because they had no value in the selling. And he, um, took care of the problem with a sack, a rope, a rock, and a river. Yeah, that got pretty dark. Can, uh, can you guys lighten this up a little bit? Uh, sure. Replace the rock with a balloon, and we'll just pretend that the kittens floated off to Oz. Nice, Jeff. Now the kittens are behind bars getting rehabbed and learning responsibility. How is this better? You know, no, never mind. No, I got this. I got this. The speaker could tell what had happened, and she could feel their last moments from afar as the cold water took them. She felt them thrash and claw sightlessly, felt them call to her in panic and fear, and then they were gone. She then had this awakening to her situation and her place in the world, and, and like anyone coming to this realization, she was not happy. Nope. The Siamese laid down that night praying to all the deities she knew of, the darkness, to the night and the carrion kind. She prayed to the king of cats, and as she prayed herself to sleep, she dreamed. The dream starts out in a boneyard. Skulls and bones, bleached white and stacked upon each other, stretch out as only they can in a dream. Kind of creepy, and kind of cool, and kind of peaceful, all at the same time. Uh, and holy cow, that is a talking vulture with a skull for a head. Yes. Yes, it is. And I would like to respectfully retract my peaceful comment. Like a honey badger, this cat doesn't care. She answers the challenge from the bird about as to why it is in the heart of the dreaming by saying that she wants justice, revelation, and wisdom, a.k.a. Revenge. revenge. So the creepy bird makes three points. First, justice is a delusion you will not find on this or any other sphere. So strike one, little kitty. Second, wisdom is not part of dreams. You get wisdom from walking the walk of life. It is the sum of your life experiences. So, strike two. And third, Revelation Plachi is a former South African cricketer who played for Griqualand West and Easterns at provincial levels as a right-arm fast bowler. Hmm? What? Dude had a 1682 batting average in first-class cricket. And that is an unexpected third strike from Rick, knocking us out of this ballgame. But wait, I'm getting confirmation from our undead avian umpire, and he says that the actual third swing was... Revelation. And that Revelation is the province of dreams. A.K.A. This kit just knocked it right out of the park. With some rough directions and the traditional vague warnings that danger lies ahead, the bird flies off to be the terror in numerous nightmares, while the cat starts her long walk through the dreamlands to the home of the king cat of dreams. Now she will walk through fields of bone And she will walk through ghosts that moan Just to walk through snows of pain and torment, And then walk where dark voids reign Revelation, 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 revelation Revelation is the providence of dreams Revelation, 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 revelation Not everything said here is as it seems After watching Benny and June, and arriving at the Kate, the cat discovers three guardians, a wyvern, a griffin, and a hippogriff. Interesting note, this was their first appearance in the Sandman series. These three guardians demand to know why they should let such a tasty little morsel of food pass by. And the Siamese cat gives the most cat-like of answers. I am a cat, and I keep my own counsel. Again, we get an ominous warning about what may lie ahead, and that dreams always have a price. Spooky. And finally, 14 pages in, we get the titular Sandman character. 
but he's not what you would expect. A Scandinavian boy who's carrying an umbrella? No, Sean, that's just a very obscure deep cut as to the first appearance of what Sandman looks like in mythology. For the readers of the series, Morpheus is portrayed as a tall, thin man with white pale skin and disheveled black hair. But here, we have a giant black tomcat with balefully glowing red eyes. There is a reason for this. Dream is a concept that appears to each species as a visually representative shape. The concept of an endless conforms to the understanding of the sentient being who views it. Thus, the cat sees another cat. Okay, and hear me out. What if Dream was visited by John Jones, the Martian Manhunter, disguised as Beast Boy, morphed into a tiger? What would Dream do then? He would ignore him, like I am going to do to you right now. So Dream eyes the little kitten and questions why it is here. Upon learning that it seeks revelation, Dream asks for it to walk with him. And then he tells a story. I imagine it begins with meow, 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 meow. This is the hallmark of Neil Gaiman, and that's possibly a trademark infringement which Sean just did. But he is telling stories within stories within stories, not saying meow meow meow. This story nests like the obvious Russian dolls of the same name, and each story reinforces each consecutive story as well as the overarching narrative. And this is really no different. Dreamcat retells a tale of an ancient time when cats were large and in charge. They roamed the world and were masters of men who were much smaller, tinier than the ancient cats. Man would groom, feed, and pet their cat lords. And when the moon shone full, known as a cat's moon, the cats would hunt the men in a game of cat and man. And then eat those that they caught. Wow, you, you just kind of dived into that, huh? I live to orate. You be you, bro. This happened until one day when one man arose and was inspired and declared that dreams shaped the world. Now, this man convinced others to dream of a world where they were the apex predators. And after a while, he convinced masses of humans to listen and believe this dream. The power of convincing you and others that you are better than you are can shape dreams, and dreams can thus shape reality. These dreams worked. One day, cats were reduced in size and power, and mankind took over the world. And it happened after one night, when a thousand or more men dreamed it. To be more precise, man dreamed a world into being what it now always was. Their inspiration changed the universe. That is the power of dream. And with this knowledge, the Siamese cat awoke. Knowing the price that was to be paid for this awareness, she shouldered its burden and began her mission. Back in the now of the story, the cat continues her oratory awesomeness. She has been everywhere spreading this message, telling all cats that if just 1,000 of them could all dream together, if they could just dream of a world in which they ruled, they could change the world back to what it once was, where cats reigned supreme and man was nothing but a plaything for them. Talk about Amway on catnip. As her speech ends, the small kitten from the beginning of the story approaches the Siamese messenger and tells her that they, for one, believe. To this, the Siamese responds... There is hope, child. Small Cat and her companion walk back through the graveyard, heading home, discussing what they have heard. The orange tabby is older and as jaded as any cat I've ever met, and while the kitten has been converted to the cause, the tabby is, well, just a little skeptical. He would like to see anyone persuade a thousand cats to do anything at the same time, which would be awesome. Perhaps if we got the dream where we ignore the wishes of your owner, you could call it a success. The cat returns home safely, and the next morning, while its humans are preparing for their day, the wife notices the kitten sleeping, and comments that it must be dreaming. In fact, by the way that it is twitching, it looks like it is hunting something. Some small animal, perhaps. Next issue, A Midsummer's Night's Dream. 
John and Maggie from Married with Comics joined me to cover that brilliant, brilliant issue. That is one of my favorites, and for good reason, it won a lot of awards. Actually, a lot of these have won a lot of awards. Yeah, but we got Kitty Cats. We got Kitty Cats. I did. I saw that. That one was taken. I wanted the Kitty Cat one. Yeah, so. Mephisto pitched us a softball. It was great. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, still terrifying, but great. <laughs> We want to get into this because this is a really good issue, and it, it's kind of hard to throw a lot of comedy at it and a lot of hate at it because there's none of that at all. It's just a lot of love. But before we get to that, let's talk a little bit about the cover. For me, I have owned this entire series of Sandman on the um, floppy trades that came out back in the mid to late 90s, I think maybe even after the 2000s. I, I had not ever really looked at the cover. Uh, Jeff, do you want to kind of describe what the cover looks like or it honestly kind of looks like a repeating broken picture frame kind of on a wall that's uh it's like a window picture frame kind of thing it's it's kind of bizarre but it looks like weathered wood and it, then it kind of has like a left corner of a picture frame broken out with a broken picture frame inside it with the left corner broken out and a broken picture frame in that with the left corner broken out and then it has a a cool kind of like sunsetty cloud kind of look going on with a cat jumping off of like a, a rooftop to going to somewhere else it's, just, it's really pretty. It looks really good. And like all the other uh, covers that were in most of the art that was done, it's all done by Dave McKean. And he's got that mixed media kind of style, the same that Bill Sienkiewicz has. And I absolutely dig it. I love it because it's it fits in with kind of the themes of all of the Sandman books of it's it's something just a little outside of the world you're expecting. You have some kind of expectation of what a comic book cover should look like or should tell you or should com be composed of. And here's something like you said, it's picture frames within picture frames within yeah, picture frames, the, which is reminiscent of the stories within stories. Yeah. Within and then stories. the title of the book is, you know, a uh, dream of a thousand cats. It's wrapped around each kind of corner of the picture frame. So you have to really kind of look at it. And the, uh, the picture yeah. frame wall kind of bit looks very kind of photorealistic and it's drawing. And then the artwork for the cat, jumping is very much kind of like a chalk dry, drawing kind of thing it's very soft looking you can tell what it is but it's a yeah it's very ethereal it's very dreamlike in quality and there's the aspect too that looking at this cover gives you no concept or idea of what the uh what the story is inside i think it's, it's a very artistic piece though. this is the thing i love about it is it wasn't and i own these in floppies i actually came in on this series pretty early on when it was coming out and so I, it's a cover I've always liked. I thought, oh, it's a McKeon image. It, you know, it would make a nice poster, especially for cat lovers. So I like Mephisto because only Satanists love cats. And um, so <laughs> the thing I like about Dale it cat Lord. is that it's this very brown, like like um, Jeff, you said, it's like this very real photo quality image of the frame. It's you know, that dark, worn wood. But where it's busted out, you see that, that sunset, that blue and the, the pink cloud, you know, with the sunlight hitting it coming through and i like it symbolically as an idea of like look there may be this wall in front of you there may be this worn like out idea that you're facing every day but if you can bust through it there's beauty behind it and i think that thematically hits with the issue really nicely but i think that goes really deep into a lot of what neil gaiman was trying to do with a lot of the sandman stories and with a lot of the concepts that him and his creative team and the artists were bringing to it is here's a story here's some things that I want to say, but you're going to be taking a lot from it more than just surface value bubbles. And there's layers and there's more layers and everything else. And we're giving you something interpret it as you will. 
Well, I think this arc in particular. So, so just to to peek behind the curtain for the listeners, you know, when the the four podcasts. So it's unpacking the power of Power Pack, Secret Wars and Beyond, Married with Comics, and Resurrections, a Warlock Thanos podcast. When all of us were were chatting a few months ago, like, hey, okay, what are we doing this year for for Halloween for Mephisto versus the podcasters? We were like, okay, we need to cover something as good as Mephisto versus the Marvel Universe was bad, and the arc of Sandman came up. And it's it's amazing because I've read these issues, you know, I've read this series several times, but this is the first time I've ever sat down to like talk about them. And this entire Dream Country arc is all about the the power of story to transform a single life and then you know a, a group of lives and then every life for good or for ill. And that which is the cool thing about gaming is it's not just rosy and sunny. Like there are a couple mm-hmm. issues in this arc that are really dark. But I yeah. love it. I love it. I love it so much. And I love that this issue diverts away from humanity. And it's like, hey, we're not the only creatures who dream. And even creatures who we see as less than us, you know, could be more if the dream is powerful enough. And I think that brings us right into a lot of the themes of the issue itself. Uh, because, you know, whereas there's a lot of interpretations you can have from the cover, there's even more interpretations you can have from what's inside. And I think that you're correct with using the subject of the story to not be humans, but be something that humans could, I don't want to say identify, but understand, I don't even want to say understand, but something that humans know and have their own prescribed feelings towards. Everyone's kind of, you know, how they're aloof and how they they think differently and how they're smarter or stupider, depending upon your point of view. But there's a, there's an object there that, we can have an opinion about and we can kind of identify a little bit, but the storytelling and all the aspects and everything that's occurring is their eyes. And we prescribe to that our own ideas and thoughts about what cats are and how they might react and tell a story, which is a story that could be a human story as well. It could be a story about a people. It could be a group. I mean, a very thin layer, you could actually look at this and say, well, you know, this could you could say this could be the people Israel easily as the cats in this and 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 there's a lot of other stories you could kind of pile on top of that as well but this isn't told entirely through the eyes of the cat and so we have things like Dream who or the other 17 issues of this book we've seen Dream as a human man because he's always been inter- interacting with other humans and now we see him as a cat because that's how that those sentient creatures look at the concept of dream. Yeah, you're seeing it as something familiar yet greater than you. Yeah, because in this, it was very much a um, it was something different. It was you know balefully glowing eyes and a you know a pitch black body that you know kind of absorbed the light. So it was still the shape of what you were familiar with, but still something foreign and alien. Right, and and that that aspect even goes to everything else in the land of dreaming. Being somebody who follows the books, we see that dreaming is a place of of a lot of permanent or um, suggestive arch- suggestive architecture or concepts of things. Like there's a library with every book that's been ever dreamed, House of Secrets and the House of Mysteries, and there there and there's the Cave of Eve and so all these these concepts that exist. But if you put a cat in that same setting. What is the cat's version of the dream country? Thoughts, Sean? 
Yeah, I mean, I think you you hit the nail on the head. I think by making the main character of this particular story an other, right, something other than human, it forces us to see the the scope of the power of dream, dream with a capital D and dream with a small D. Like, it forces us to see Morpheus's powers, one of the endless. That that you know, we're just one of of every existing race of thing that you know encounters this realm. But also the power of a dream itself. Like I actually really one thing I love about this comic, this particular issue, but Sandman in general, but this issue in particular, is it it doesn't shy away from the dark side of it either. Like like there is this this Siamese cat that's going around and and proselytizing to other cats to be listened to, and you know some of the connections we can make are really noble like we can you know it could be jesus it could be moses it could be muhammad like it could be any you know prophet who's trying to lead its people to a greater place but there's a dark side of that too like charismatic leaders don't always lead people to a great place and that's also what leads to the rise of fascism and you know and, and other things as well and so i like the fact that you know there is this duality because as much as i think oh the cat that's going around you know preaching to other cats that's a really cool idea I also stop and go, but wait a minute, if she's successful, then yeah. I am yeah. a toy to be eaten by a giant cat, so uh, maybe I shouldn't <laughs> but, but, root too but, hard for this. But you would never know, because the world would never be one where you would be anything more than a toy to a giant cat. Yeah, which is even more terrifying, right? Like, the only thing yeah. scarier than waking up in a world where you're a plaything for cats is waking up in a world where you were always a plaything for cats and, you know, had no other memory of it, so... So yeah, it's it's I love that element of it. I love that aspect of it. And I think it is really cool to make it a cat in particular because cats do they are imbued with a sort of mystery, right? Like the Egyptian right. Egyptians worship them. There's a there's a nobility to them, but there's also a kind of street dirtiness to them, to like, you know, kind of a feralness to them. And so I think it's the perfect symbol for this of like they cross every gamut and they cross every culture and just like every person there and at the in the end they're kind of out for their own dominance in themselves you know which is noble if you're a cat and sucky if you're not and the idea of what cats are they're domesticated animals but nobody would say that i mean yeah you'll you'll find some that have learned how to do tricks but on a whole most house cats most domesticated house cats differ from the other you know domesticated animal the dog whereas you know dogs follow rules dogs specific commands and, they, and they're going to listen to you and they're more loyal to you whereas cats will choose if they're going to be loyal to you you can't give cats commands you can't give them orders they will do what they want to do and they'll choose who they want to choose <laughs> um so it's 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 very interesting to see that you know using using the cats as this uh, you know stand-in for the not humans makes for some very interesting conversations. Let's talk about a little bit more of the uh, of another part you brought up, Sean, about the following inspirational leaders and the use of concepts of dream as inspiration, and of course the most important one or famous one that I can think of is, of course, Martin Luther Jr.'s I Have a Dream speech. And the civil rights movement really rallied around that concept and how it's never really gone away. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, no, I think it's, I think we're definitely meant to see those overtones, right? We're, we're definitely meant to see that the world has changed for the better at, at numerous times in history because one person, one man or one woman has had 
a dream they believed in enough to risk, you know, everything to to promote and to um, to try to make real. And the thing that I think is so cool about that is like so the the actual proselytizing cat, the prophet cat, when she comes, she stands on top of this angel statue in the cemetery, right? Um, I called it cat on a hot sin roof, but I, <laughs> I, I know I went pretty far for that joke, but like, I liked it. Um, so she sits on top of this, this statue of this angel and it, and it's meant to evoke leader. It's meant to evoke Muhammad, uh, you know, uh, in the mountain and, and Moses on the mountain and Jesus on the, on the hilltop, you know, and there's supposed to be this idea of, of, you know, the, the people who come and share the dreams sort of coming from above and sharing them from above. And I thought that was really cool. I think we're absolutely meant to see that in this. And I think it's really interesting that the the cat that is the prophet cat is black and white because there's mm-hmm. a lot of symbols in those coloring, right? Like like if, if white is traditionally a symbol of purity and innocence and, and the little kitten in this story is all white and black is traditionally a symbol of, you know, maybe darkness. And, and I'm not going to get into the the you know, social issues there, but, but, you know, if let's say just artistically, if we understand that, then the fact that the prophet cat is a black and white cat, it, it kind of mimics the nature of dreams, right? Like dreams are both good and bad. When you go to sleep at night, you may have the best dream I ever had in my life was when I was eight years old and I had just read new mutants 21. And in the dream, I was cannonball and I was literally flying around with Sam Guthrie's power. I was nigh invulnerable when I was blasting and it was awesome. But when I go to sleep at night, I'm not necessarily going to dream I'm cannibal. Sometimes I might be dreaming that I'm getting hit by cannibal or something you know, equally as troubling. And so I like the fact that, that the cat, like the dream, can be positive or negative, can be good or dangerous, just like a dream from a prophet can be positive or negative or good or dangerous. Like they're, It's freaking gaming, man. It's like wheels within wheels within wheels, right? Like he's just messing with us every turn. One thing said that kind of made me think, and, and one person didn't specifically bring out but you're saying you know jesus on the mount and muhammad on the mountain also very much martin luther king jr standing on standing in front of abraham lincoln's memorial i mean it, it that symbolism is perfect right there you could just take that that giant you know statue uh from the graveyard we've got a giant statue of abraham lincoln and you've got this orator talking about dreams and the power of dreams and that just screams out an equal symbolism yeah it's i think it's and i think it's amazing right because like a dream the as many people who read this they're going to bring their own associations to it like which is again the brilliance of this story because this is a really simple story at heart like this is a very simple if this is this is a good elevator pitch story like you can say it Mm. in a couple sentences but because it's Gaiman, and, and actually, I also want to give a huge shout out to Kelly Jones and Malcolm Jones, and then especially Todd Klein, the letterer, because every element of this book is adding to its symbolism. Like when, when the, the kitten that will become the prophet goes and seeks out Dream, we know it's Morpheus because his letters, his word bubbles are shaped like Morpheus. And it's right. a black background with the white letters on top. So if you're a reader of this series, you're not lost. You know you're seeing Morpheus. And all of the stuff you talked about, Rick, about him taking different shapes depending on who's seeing him, it all comes rushing in without needing to be set on the page. And so there's just so much good happening in here that, and that, that echoes those themes. I, I can't get enough of the artwork in this. I, I can't get enough of, of just the, the style of storytelling that, that it's there. Because you're right, it, it, it was hard to come up with 
it was hard to come up with a synopsis on this because trying to tell this story, it's like, okay, this is a really simple story. We can tell this in like, we can tell this in two sets, but we're missing some of the real nuance that exists within it. We're, we're taking away some of the features that Neil Gaiman is setting up tell the story. First of all, we have the medium which it's told in. It's told in a comic book, which is a storytelling setting. And then we have the fact that we're, we're hearing the story firsthand through the eyes of these two cats that are walking to see this. Then we have the story that's occurring when the, the prophet cat starts to speak. And then the prophet cat talks about uh, a dream that it had. So we've got a dream within a story that it's telling. Well, it's, it's telling its story right. and the dream that it had within right. its own story. And yeah. then from there, we go into where it starts talking to uh, to Dream itself, and Dream starts to tell a story. And at this point in time, the nesting dolls are just too deep. We just It's hard to keep track about which level we are currently at because something that Neil Gaiman does a lot is tells us stories within a story within a story within a story. It's hard to keep track about well, even before that, you know, it starts with the humans, the uh, the couple that have the kitten, and it's them talking, and it's like, hey, you know, if you want to come up to bed, you should come up to bed, but, right. you know, open the door for the cat so it can have, you know, bathroom access kind right. of thing. So, it even starts with that, and then it ends with the humans as well, where they're like, okay, I got to go do it at work, okay, I'll see you later. Oh, hey, the kitten looks cute because he's dreaming about, look, looks like he's chasing an animal. So, once again, it's you're right, it is bookending it as, this is a story that we, that exists about what happens between humans lives there's a lot of stories going on a lot of little levels even if it's a short story like hey come to bed uh morning i gotta go to work it's still a story that's it and and during the night the cat did something Mm -hmm. what does your cat do at night well my cats like to run from one end of the house to the other end of the house like they're in a race (laughs) which having hardwood floors is awesome But that's but, even yeah, awesome, right? Because this this issue makes you question: like, are they in training for when they get to chase you and eat you? Like, like what you know? What are they doing? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, my wife makes the comment like, "Oh, can you hear Bert snoring over there? Yeah, he's having a dream about eating us." <laughs> or is it the you know the chasing of the memory of when it used to be able to chase tiny humans? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, there's so many cool ideas going on here, and what again is a really simple story. And the, the thing I love about this, and 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 actually, listeners, when you follow this episode with the Secret Wars and Beyond Midsummer Night's Dream episode with Maggie and, and John. We actually talk about this too, where it, it's one of the things that's so interesting about this is the idea that the the Gaiman never shows off, right? Like he's such a good writer and he's so brilliant. And this is easily a story where he could at the end or somewhere be like, huh, huh, look at me, I'm so clever. Like, ah, cats, huh? Like, look at me. And he never does it. He never he never gives it away. He always roots you in the story. So that you are are overwhelmed by its in this case its power and its simplicity, and I love that because I think there's a, a lot of writers would have gone awry with this. A lot of writers would have been a little too cute and clever, and Gaiman goes right up against that edge and then pulls back because that's really how good he is. A lot of the stories that Neil Gaiman tells he doesn't really provide ending per se. He keeps the ending open for the reader. To, yeah, he doesn't give closure. Yeah, he, for for the reader to come up with their own interpretation of how this should end or what the real story is well oftentimes with game here's what i've found with Gaiman in just reading his uh, a, a good number of his novels is that the main character is usually the least protagonist person there they're an observer yeah. Yeah. and somebody antagonist and the main character happens to just kind of be there uh oftentimes kind of like helping or you know assisting or being being a partner but on, on occasion and i think mirror mask did this where it was just like this person you know, like the protagonist who isn't the main character, barely
barely even wants him there. And it's just like, here, go home. You can go home, go down that alley. You can go back to your home. Just go. And then like the, the, you know, the, the narrator doesn't and still just tags along, but fades so into the background that it doesn't matter. That's the pretty much, if you look at American gods, you've got that entire thing going on. The main character is shadow, but he was, he was a lot more active than a lot of, a lot of the other stuff. He is the most passive protagonist that you've ever seen no that is a lie have you read uh the host by uh, the person who did the twilight series that is the pacifist of passives but i mean but i mean shadow is incredibly passive and a lot of it's things that are occurring around him that he has to react well he he beat up he beat up a leprechaun yeah he did something (laughs) but it's it's Mm -hmm. but you're but you're very true about this is because there's a lot of things and i and i don't know when i always think of the story within story setting and 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 what you're talking about with you know the Passive is murder mysteries, which is a amazing thing. That's story within a story within a story within a story, and the main character that you're following along that he's the narrator of the story. Oh yeah, I, I, I listened to the audio of that. Yeah, yeah. I love the the audio is amazing. Um, the um, yeah, the narrator of the story, he's telling the story, and you find out by the end of it, you're like, oh, this is a bad bad guy. <laughs> but at the same time, he is not the star of the story, even though everything about it is about him. But he is just telling the story that is occurring. He's meeting this the homeless guy. This homeless guy is telling a story about the angels. And then in that story, there's other characters who are telling stories. And it just gets deeper and deeper and deeper. And, deeper. and if you ever have a chance, check out the uh, Mind's Eye Theater version, audio version of it. It's got Brian Dennehy as one of the voices. And uh, also, oh, I can't remember the name, but he... Um, Played the main villain on Lost. Uh, that actor is also, and he plays the main narrator. Yeah, that's a uh, Ben. Ben, yeah, Ben something or another. But like I said, Murder Mysteries, uh, Mind's Eye Audio. Find it; it's amazing. <laughs> it is really good. All right, um, you had one other note that you wanted to talk about, Sean. Yeah, it's actually a good segue too, because I think we're going to probably talk about the art in a minute. Uh, so just it's a little heads up. So I was on uh, It's Midnight, the podcasting hour with with Ryan Daly years ago uh, on the Fire and Water Network. And we covered The Secret of the Egyptian Cat, which is a short story from House of Mystery number six, by Robert Kaniger and drawn by the great Bernie Wrightson. And we were actually covering it as a celebration of Bernie Wrightson's work. And, and in that story, it tells the story of a sorcerer who kidnapped a beautiful woman because beauty. And she buffed him. She, she, he, he hits on her, she rebuffs him. So he turns into a cat and, and kidnaps her, takes her. So over the course of lifetimes, she's really patient. And she goes out and she's able to find love as a cat. But then the sorcerer realizes that and kills her love. And she eventually is able to steal his spell book. And she gets really bloody revenge. I mean, this is 70s DC horror comics. So it's like, you know, what, you know, what comics code? Like, they don't even care. Like, they're going to, you know, really go for it. And so it's a brilliant story. It's one of Wrightson's great stories. But what I found out in, in researching for that episode is Kelly Jones, who's the penciler of this issue. And many people know Kelly Jones as a penciler of a really interesting Batman run in the 90s with Doug Munch. And with he did a lot of Spectre comics. He did a lot of Dead Man. He's got a really distinct horror-driven style. So Kelly Jones was a devotee of Bernie Wrightson. Like he got into art partially because of Wrightson. And let him know that once he got into comics and they became really close. And actually, Kelly Jones did this story in part as an homage to the secret of the Egyptian cat from, from House of Secrets. So I thought that was really cool. And 
it, it actually, there's a nice little moment that continues. Bernie Wrightson got ill, as many people know, and died kind of suddenly. I mean, he knew he was sick, but the, the end itself came quickly. And he was in the middle of drawing a four-issue miniseries, and Kelly Jones stepped in and completed the miniseries for free to honor his friend. And so I think of that a lot when I think of this issue, because this issue is a uh, tip of the cap to Kelly Jones's uh, mentor. Very nice. Thank you for finding that out. I really appreciate that. Yeah, it's pretty cool, especially when you look at Wrightson's art and, and Jones's art. I mean, they're, you know, Jones is like definitely his, you know, in from his school. Well, you're right. That does bring us to art. Now, usually on our show, we, we do some power thoughts. Uh, we should call these uh, cat dreams. Mm. We're gonna call it. We're gonna call this catnip for this episode. <laughs> so we got some. We got a couple of catnip things that we're gonna be looking at, and we're only gonna do two of them here. But we're gonna talk about best art and some best lines. So let's talk about some more of this art. Jeff, what piece of art in this book is a real standout for you? So my backup art is on page sixteen, and it's at the bottom of the page, and I call "All That Matters in the Night." And it is a picture of, uh, on the left-hand side is the full moon, and on the right-hand side is cat teeth and cat eyes. And it's just a black background. It, it's all that matters in the night, because this is when the cats reign dominant, and on a full moon, which they call the cat's moon, that's when they'd go and hunt their little playthings, their little human servitors, and eat some of them. Did you mention the only words on the page? Purr. I did not, because I was just going for the image. But yeah, that one I saw to be, it's, it's all that matters in the night, because... The moon says it's time to run because you're running from the eyes and the teeth that will bite. So. Very nice. Very nice. What is your backup, Sean? Uh, so my backup is on page six. It is the large bottom panel. Uh, I call it What's New Pussycat? Oh, oh, oh. And it is the first full shot of the prophet cat. So we see her jump down from a tree, land. She looks like a normal cat, looks like a normal cat. And then we see her in full. And it is gorgeous it is this picture of this black and white cat with this blue eye and there's definitely the the way the background is colored so jones and and jones draw the cat beautifully and brilliantly but oh my god i need to give a huge shout out to robbie bush who's the colorist because the color is the color is everything in this moment if this were a black and white comic it would not have worked the way he's playing with color in this makes you see that this cat is otherworldly it's almost like it came out of a dream came out of a mist so so that's my backup it's i think it's a beautiful image and it immediately sets the tone that like this is not your you know your father's putty tat what's also interesting too is that because you had such a close cat you can see how scraggly and rough it is so mm-hmm. even though it's presenting as this fantastic prophet of a cat you also see all of its flaws as well that it's been out, it hasn't been really groomed and taken care of, the, the uh, fur is going various ways. So there's the little imperfections that are there that make it perfect. And there's a majesty to it, which is really yeah. nice. It's, it's that contrast of both. So yeah, so I loved this image. And also, honestly, we need to shout out Robbie Bush as the colorist, because he kills it on this issue. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, I'm going to go from that page right to the next one. And it's the next scene, actually, where the cat is sitting up on the head of the statue. And it's, yeah, it's, a good one. it's all in shadows. So you've got the statue of this angel with its arms out. And you see the two uh, wings coming up beside it, kind of making a really nice frame for this cat that's sitting right on the head of this angel. And the cat is completely in shadow. And just the eyes are two white dots that are there. And 
it's it's more of a Jeff type of a selection because Jeff likes the real <laughs> monochrome type. I do. I like the monochrome. I like the in shadows. Yeah. I like the uh, stark contrast. But I I do like how 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 this is that stark contrast and that's just the presence that it has and the presence is even ma- is even magnified by the place where it's sitting as well. Yeah. yeah. Location, location, location. It's, it's what's the important thing for everything. Yes. What do you have for your top one? Well, my top one is on page four. Yeah. In fact, it is page four. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, I was going to say, it's not yeah, on page four. It is page four, it and I call four. it Beauty in the Night. And it is, uh, show, it's when all the cats have arrived at this graveyard, and it's kind of a overrun, kind of getting broken down, headstones are getting kind of cattywampus, and uh, just this pile of cats in this just really beautiful scene of a graveyard uh it's got little statuaries and stuff being overrun by ivy and stuff it just it looks amazing yeah that is there's nothing else to say feel the forest mm-hmm. and the night like it's so well drawn that it feels cold and crisp and like yeah and scary and ominous it's awesome it really is actually that entire four and five it's both pages they they both run together oh, oh. oh okay i didn't yeah, notice I, that jeff's been reading this online so he doesn't really see the the pages yeah. as as it comes together i didn't know it was a giant splash yeah, it's yeah, one, it's entire. one entire it it's interesting because it exists it exists as two things because you can do this on one page oh, totally and works, yeah. and there's almost a feeling of claustrophobia yeah well because on the left is all these cats that are gathered in the graveyard and on the right is just a couple more cats and it's uh you know our kitten and the orange tabby yeah. you know and it would be freaky as all get out to be you know walking through a nearly full moon night through a graveyard and just here's a giant clatter of cats just hanging out looking at you so what about your top one what do you got sean my top choice is page 10 middle panel and i call it a stroll through the land of bones and this is where the prophet cat is telling her story about how the her owners had had murdered her children and she wants to to find some sort of answer and she goes seeking the king of dreams and we immediately cut and again this is a robbie bush this is a colorist moment because we immediately cut from these very earth-toned scenes of her actual life to this like very stark gray scene of the cat standing and just a boneyard all around her, all of these carcasses, these animal carcasses. And then there's one bird, you know, with actually who has a skull for a face circling above her. And so it's, it's just beautiful. It's, it's the perfect combination of line art and color art. And it's mm-hmm. also... Gaiman being a really good writer in that there is no dialogue on this panel because there does not need to be. The art tells you everything. We're in a different world. This world is deadly and dangerous, and this is going to be a perilous journey, but it is one this cat's determined to take. And I love that Gaiman lets his collaborators do the work on this. Right. And once again, it's that goes back to what humans would dream and what humans would see is completely different from what a cat would dream and a cat would see. Mm-hmm. And I do want to point out, sorry, one quick little nod. So the the vulture that's above the cat has a skull for a face. And and it is a vulture. It's not a raven. But throughout Mm. Sandman, there's Matthew the raven. And and he is Morpheus's sort of aide, kind of like a nod to Odin's ravens. And and Morpheus has had ravens all throughout his existence. And at one point, his sister Delirium says to Matthew the raven, oh, hey, I've met nine and a half of Morpheus's ravens. And so there's an idea that this might be the half one because he doesn't yeah. have a full head. <laughs> Good call out. I like that. I'm going to go ahead and uh, 
go to page 14 because you know you, you kind of kind of stole one of mine that was there but i had a backup one i because we have to have a one of our choices include dream because we haven't seen him in any of our choices what would he normally be on his throne but on here he's on a giant rock much like a cat you know outcropping that's high and above everybody else and he's on this perch in this cave with the stalactites <laughs> from the ceiling uh and there are a couple of stalagmites going from the ground but you see some more bones and you see the white siamese cat on another lower outcropping looking up at this dark shadowy figure with these red baleful eyes i do like that it's it's our first introduction of orpheus and it's very subdued it's a very subdued picture but you still you see the and power that is dream let us move on to our choices for the best lines. What words made you really think in this? And let's go ahead and go back, go around the other way. We'll start with you, Sean. What is your backup one for top words? So my backup line comes from page 12 when our uh, prophet Kitty is going on her journey, her heroic journey to find the king of dreams to get some answers about her murdered children. And she has to go through this very game and ask. She goes through all, like, each panel is its own little realm she has to travel through and challenge she has to meet. And so she's walking through the wood of ghosts. And there's a panel in the middle at the top of a page. And it's her looking solemnly down. And she thinks, at one point I thought I heard my children calling me. But I straightened my tail and I walked forward. And that is just heartbreaking and yeah, poignant. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't matter if she's a cat. Like, like we're all parents, right? Like, we all know what our chief nightmare is. Like, the worst thing that could happen in our lives. I'm not even going to say it it's out loud. Um, it's and she goes through it. And the, the ability of those words to capture not only the depth of her sadness, but her, like, resilience to keep going. I mean, immediately I was like, I love you forever. And I will also dream of the kitty apocalypse. Yeah, as well, she knew that it was also, that was going to pull her away from the mission at hand. This is one of the trials that she had to pass through to get to the King of Dreams. Her children are already dead. She didn't want them back. She wanted vengeance on yeah. them. Well, there's the thing, too. She wouldn't have gotten them back. She would have right. just been trapped with the ghosts of the moon. She, she understands and knows that. She knows that that's a path she can't walk down, but she can get her vengeance. What is your backup one, sir? Mine's whatever Sean just said. I don't want to work at it. No. <laughs> <laughs> I would like to like work with a professional sometimes. Can you tell me what that's like, Sean? Oh, wait, you work with Greg. Never <laughs> My backup line is on page seven through eight. So it's a, a little wordy, but it's Neil Gaiman. So what do you expect? And it's uh, starting from the bottom and working to the top. It is, uh, he was a tomcat, ragged of ear, dark of eye. It was my time for love, and he was my choice of lover. Our pleasures in each other, and the consummation of our mutual hunger was screeched to the heavens and screamed to the arches of the sky. That's yeah. kind of dirty. Oh, and it goes on, too, where he, it's like, he was strong and fast, and his claws and teeth were sharp as winter. I never saw him again, but I have not forgotten him. So just that entire thing, I'm like, yeah, that's amazing words. Those are right. really great. It is the best smut that you could possibly ever write. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah Gaiman would write great Yeah, smut. it is. Yeah. yeah, it would be well. It'd be so intellectual smut. It would be smut you wouldn't mind reading on the uh, you know on the trolley or whatever. It's very evocative yeah. Yeah. and it's very primal and it's very yeah you, you know sharp of tooth and claw and ragged of ear. It's yeah. like he was yeah he was rough and tumble. He was he was a Wolverine of cats. She's describing the Fabio on the cover of all of those uh, <laughs> yeah. all those uh, soap books, soap books. You know, mine is on page fourteen and it's at the bottom and it's Dream talking back to uh, the Siamese cat after the cat's asking why 
could the children be taken away from me? You know, why do we live as we do? I don't understand. And I like Morpheus' answer here. A cat may look at a king, or so they say. Look into my eyes then, little sister. Look into my eyes. <laughs> I, I don't know. This should, it's Once again, it's using the words to just really portray that deep, scary... You came here and looking for answers. You want some answers. All right. Come on in. Look into my soul. You're going to get answers. Yeah. You're, you're here talking to a king now. Come on. Let's play this game. So I, I do like that, you know, here's Morpheus just really interacting with this cat. Now, you've made this journey. We're going to play this game. Let's go. What is your top one, Sean? Uh, so I'll get, I'll get to that in just a second, just as a little preview, because my episode with Maggie and John follows this episode. And of course, listeners are going to, of course, listen to that episode right after this. There's a great moment in Midsummer Night's Dream when Morpheus is talking to Titania, the, the queen of the fairies, about the deal he made with William Shakespeare for Shakespeare to be the greatest writer ever. But in exchange, he had to write plays for Morpheus. And there's a cost to that. And And Morpheus says... You know, he got what he always wanted, but the problem with that is you get what you've always wanted. And I think that really echoes the line you just picked, Rick, because it's that idea of like, oh, you've come seeking answers and you will get them, but they may be more than you can handle. Like, I love that idea. I love the idea of like, be really careful of the kind of questions you ask, especially of power, because you just might get the answer. So I, it's, just a, it's a cool through line that runs through these stories. It's awesome. So, so my first choice is on page 11. And the uh, prophet cat is in the land of bone. And she said, you know, I'm here for justice. I'm here for wisdom. I'm here for revelation. And the, the vulture says back to her, you know, justice is a delusion. Wisdom has no part in this realm. He says, but revelation, that is the providence of dream. And I just thought that was such a cool line, such a powerful line. And clearly it's something Gaiman believes about the, the revelatory nature of dreams and Sometimes our subconscious tells us what our conscious minds can't, and I thought that was amazing. So I, I was, yeah, that line hit me really hard. Yes, uh, that entire section there were the the three things that they asked for. I I loved that to death. That once again, you know, it's a simple story, but then when you start picking apart its bones, <laughs> uh, you actually start uh, to see that there is a lot That's in the simple story. What do you got for your top? My top is on page nine, and it is uh, after the male human decided that the kittens that she just had had no worth because she was a pure seal point, uh, blue seal point Siamese. Uh, and he took care of the problem by chucking him into a river with a weighted sack. And so it's her, and it's a, you know, I'll show you, tell you about the picture. It's just a close up of the cat's eyes, and you can see her just remembering this time. But she says, I felt them from afar in the dark as the cold water took them. Felt them thresh and claw sightlessly. Felt them call me in their panic and their fear. And then they were gone. I'm like, oh my God, that just rips into me. Um, I've got this knife here. Can, yeah. I, just, can I just kind of stick this right in your heart for a sec? Oh, hold on. So let me just twist a little. Yeah, just hold that right yeah. there for me. I'll be back. Oh, it's just so harsh. Because especially, you know, a couple panels before she was talking about, you know, it's just like in months came and then I had this batch of kittens and, oh, I loved them. And I was so excited about the future with them and teaching them how to hunt and groom and clean and just, you know, existing with your children. And she was so like content and happy with that. She knew she'd never see their father again, but she had this memory of them and it was, they, they were, mm -hmm. she just saw them as the future. And you know, it's the passing of the lineage and the, Oh, I get to, you know, I get to spend this time with these creatures of me that are themselves. 
and then to just have them go away and to especially be able to sense what they went through and feel what they went through at the same time is just uh and i know that the whole section is so brutal it it really does it makes you take her side like it forces you to say okay even though she's the other she's not human it's a cat what can i relate to a cat about but by the end of that section you're like yep i'm all in this is you know heartbreaking just because that's a pretty bunch of a downer. I'm gonna go ahead and finish this off with my favorite on the last page, and I need somebody to uh, to to play along with me here. Hey, I think Kitty's dreaming. Don, isn't that cute? Dreaming? Hmm. I wonder what cats have to dream about. The way it's twitching about. I think maybe it's hunting something, some small animal, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, honey, it's really cute. There is kind of fun about this it's this fun little interlog and like what we were talking about before like you know this is the the bookends for the issue it's like you know the 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 humans are going to bed the humans are getting up they're doing their thing and they're kind of half talking about this cat and so you have this funny lay and it seems so innocuous they're just talking oh look at the little cute thing they're doing oh isn't that just cute but the undertone here of it you know the cat's dreaming and twitching and chasing something it's chasing and eating a human (laughs) Yeah, it's dreaming about cats and dominance. It's, you know, 0.1% of the thousand cats needed to get to where they're going to go. But it's still, it's, there's just that little twist. It's the, it's the final joke issue. It's like, oh, now we know what they're dreaming about. That's what this all has been about. You want to know what your cat's dreaming about? The cats, the cats are dreaming about chasing you down and hunting you and killing you and playing with you yeah. like a mouse. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it's all about. <laughs> so, talking about some final thoughts here, let's talk about some final thoughts on beer. Um, what do we think of our beers for this fun, fun little uh, dalliance we've been doing today? John, tell us how you like yours. It's called Meowza. I mean, like it's 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 got a cat eating a pizza on the front. It's all like I mean, it's, and it is good actually. It is like I said, it's it tastes like Newcastle without the pomp and circumstance. So I, I liked it. I, I actually, it's a beer I will special order again. It's one that I'm going to take a look at and see if I can't find too. I, I, I might get lucky and be able to find it out here. If do if I do, I will come back and tell you what I think about it. It's got a Seattle connection, so you might you might be able to. We'll talk about our uh, three-way IPA now. Jeff and I are not <laughs> IPA. <laughs> Jeff and I are not IPA people, but I gotta tell you, I have been enjoying this one. I'm really liking it. It's got a great flavor to it. It still has a great nose. It does kind of leave a little bit of a sort of a musty aftertaste. Yeah, kind of a kind of a dry kind of must kind of thing. It's not unpleasant, but it's. Uh, you know, it's it's not the best highlight of the, of this drink, which is actually a really good IPA. I'm enjoying it a lot. Yeah, I'm 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 enjoying it too. I, I it's got the like you said, it's it's got a little bit of that must. It's got a little bit of the, the the bitterness that's there, but the citrus is really holding through, and it's really yeah. helping. Sell it's got it. it's got really good uh, citrus fruit floral notes that come through when you're drinking it and smelling it, which I really enjoy. Yeah, and uh, you know, I'm liking I'm liking that kind of unfiltered haze look to it. Yeah, yeah. All right, let's give some let's give some ratings. Um, now usually we do our power balls, but um, in honor of this one, uh, uh, Sean, how many fur balls would you give your uh, <laughs> uh, one out of five fur balls? How many fur balls would you give your um, your beer? I would give it. I, I was going to do a hacking sound, but no one needs to hear me. Do that. <laughs> yeah, we don't need uh, that. I would I would give it a good like four and half a sticky one. Like I'd give it like a four and a half because uh, it was a good. Again, I I bought it because of the name and the label. And based on the label being so cartoony and, and kind of kitschy, the beer should have been awful. But it was it was good. Yeah. I liked it, so I'm, I'm going to give it a four and a half. 
What about you guys? Um, I'm thinking with mine. I'm. I think I'm gonna go with a four on this one. I, I like it. I really do like it a lot, uh, especially for an IPA. It probably is something I would I would order again, but I'm gonna say a good four on this. How about you, Jeff? I would definitely drink this again. I've enjoyed it a lot. It's not the uh, top of the top for me, but I put it solidly at a four as well. All right. Yep. So um, a, a good beers, a really good book, and mm-hmm. um, a really good time. And that leads us to the part where Rick and Carrie have a discussion about the book at hand, and we get a kid's perspective from Carrie. So, Rick and Carrie, take it away. Hi, Carrie. Hello, Daddy. Brand new day, right? <laughs> brand new day, brand new comic. And what are we talking about today? A cat story. That's right. And it's from a comic book that's called Sandman. Now, how many other Sandman books have I let you read? None. So you have no clue what's going on, right? No. (laughs) What did you think about this one comic about these cats? It was kind of sad at the beginning. Why? Because the cats got thrown into the river. That was pretty sad, wasn't it? Yeah, especially for a cat lover. And you are a cat lover, right? Uh Uh-huh. Okay, so it was sad at the beginning. What else? Well, there was this one cat that was talking to the others, and she told them about, like, how humans dream to make themselves bigger. Yeah. And if all the cats dream, dreamt, then they would make them. They would. They would be bigger than the humans. Uh huh. So the idea was to get a, a thousand cats to dream, right? Yeah. What do you think about that story? It was interesting. Tell me why. Well, for one, I had cats, and I love cats. And um, for the for two um, okay, I don't know how to explain that. Okay. I just don't know. <laughs> Tell me about how the female cat, the one that was speaking, learned about this tale, about the story that cats used to be bigger than humans. She learned it from when she dreamt and she visited the person, a cat of dreams or something. Uh-huh. She visited this cat of dreams. What did you think about that cat? Its eyes were creepy. <laughs> it did have very creepy eyes. What about what the cat was doing? The cat was actually really nice. Um, well, the cat was the one who told her. What do you think that cat represents? Or what What do you make of that concept that cat dreamed and then she saw this cat that was supposed to be in charge of the dreams? What do you think about that concept about dream about somebody being in charge of all the dreams? It is very confusing thinking about it that way. Why? Because it's like, Dream the dreams and dreams and dreams. <laughs> stories and stories and stories, right? Yeah. What would you think about somebody who was in charge of, of a land of dreaming? That would be really cool to visit them in your own dreams. I probably did once, but I never knew. That is a fascinating statement, and that's a little bit about what this comic book is about. It's an interesting comic book, and maybe when you're older, I'll let you read the rest of them. Um, okay. Do you have anything else you want to talk about? What would you think of the art in the book? Did you like the art? Yeah. I had a connection. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I had a connection with this story called Varjack Paw. Uh-huh. Because the blue part. So Varjack Paw, he's a Mesopotamian blue, and when they said something about blue, it just made me remember that for some reason. Okay. And um, there was other things, and I forgot that reminded me of that story. So there was a connection to another story, huh? Yeah. All right. Very cool. Is there anything else you want to talk about? No. Okay. 
Thank you very much, Carrie. You're welcome. I love you. Love you too. And we are back from that dreamland of childhood innocence. We're always really glad to hear what uh, Carrie had to say about that. So thank you very much, Carrie. Very cool. Be sure to check out our other shows that we're on, Rick Meets Legion, which you can find at Comic Reflections, and our junior agent submissions on the MI6 Rookie Agents episode of On Her Majesty's Secret Podcast. And we have some merchandise available on Redbubble. Right now, it is just shirts and stickers around our logo, but we will try to come up with other fun stuff for our fans. Go to redbubble.com and search for Unpacking the Power of Power Pack. And Sean, where can our lovely, lovely listeners find you? Well, I'm on the Pulp to Pixel Podcast Network. We have a number of shows. Um, The one I co-host with my buddy Greg Arusho is Marvel Superhero Secret Wars and Beyond, where we cover every issue of every Marvel Superhero Secret Wars miniseries. We cover the beautiful gem that is Volume 1. We cover the not-quite-as-beautiful gem that is Volume 2, Secret Wars 2, though the crossovers were a lot of fun. And we go into the issues themselves, and then how we pick a character in the issue, and how that series impacted them. So what impact did Secret Wars 1 have on Ben Grimm, and what impact did Secret Wars 2 have on Spider-Man, and all those fun things. We took a little hiatus to do Squadron Supreme, the seminal miniseries by Mark Grunewald and Mark, uh, Paul Ryan, which was amazing. But we are gearing up, starting next month, to cover Secret Wars 3 by Jonathan Hickman and Isad Ribic. And so if you are a fan of Hickman's Power of X, House of X work, you definitely need to check this out because this is actually Hickman's second round with Marvel and his first round was brilliant and beautiful. So yeah, so that's where they can find me. I love Jonathan Hickman stuff. You haven't even checked out the Hawks Pox. No, I haven't. Heard, I haven't read the Hot Pox box or whatever it's called. <laughs> uh, but I could, I, I I've loved a lot of his you. other stuff. I could lend those to you. I'd read them maybe at some point or I'd put them in a pile of other stuff that you've loaned me and that I said, gonna get to you as soon as I have a high schooler. <laughs> It's the best the X-Books have been in years. And, but before we, we cut away for a second, guys, you guys on Unpacking Power Power Pack, you always rank the issues and you, you place them in a hierarchy. So since this is now our second Mephisto versus the podcasters, I'm, I think listeners are dying to know what comes in first and what comes in second. Is it Mephisto versus or Sandman? <laughs> Here's the problem. I really enjoyed our uh, fanta- uh, Mephisto versus Fantastic Four. I thought that was one of the greatest things uh, I've ever been involved with. Uh, I, I mean, story-wise... I, I hate to tell you, all of you people that... This will be the last episode of Jeff and Sense because on uh, that note, I'm yeah. going to have to... <laughs> <laughs> you have bad taste! I have my arms open to, to greet you, Rick. You are you are welcome to come to this safe space where we understand that Sandman is infinitely better than the And then, uh, and let's announce the uh, start of the Jeff Presents podcast, a Mephisto versus series, where we take an in-depth uh, look at every Mephisto versus uh, issue of comic that's out there. Yeah, it's just going to be Mephisto all the time. It's going to be yeah. very much like a Warlock Thanos podcast, except it's just going to be focused exclusively on Mephisto. Yeah, but just the Mephisto versus. So I'll take a, a, a deep dive panel per panel look. Oh, panel by panel Mephisto versus. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. The episodes are going to run four and a half hours each. This is going to be first. Hmm. Uh, yeah, I could see that. It uh, Just with art and storytelling... Uh, it just edges out the Mephisto versus uh, the Fantastic Four. The art, the storytelling, the coloring, the <laughs> characters. <laughs> I think the there was are even better. There was tennis in R1 in the uh, Fantastic you know, I, you Four one. I, I will give the Mephisto versus one thing. It did have the prestige format yeah. paper. Yeah, it had some thick stock paper. It was really nice. And it had 100% more Ben Grimm. Yeah, and everybody loves that uh, blue-eyed guy from Yancey Street.
I, he is I, an ant that loves I, him. I really have only one response to you for that. Mm-hmm. Jeff Hammer Presents is a bi-weekly self-produced podcast recorded in front of a live studio audience in Portland, Oregon, and Phoenix, Arizona. If you would like to interact with us through the magic of the internet, you can do so through Twitter at Jeff and Rick Presents, our Facebook page, Jeff and Rick Presents, our email address, Jeff and Rick Present, all one word, at gmail.com, or at our website, Jeff and Rick Present.wordpress.com. And I will retort that by saying, if you would like to help support our show, we are on Patreon. You can find us at patreon.com, Jeff and Rick present, all one word. We are a supporter of the Hero Initiative, and we will be donating 10% of our Patreon donations to this great cause. We encourage everyone to give what they can to this worthwhile organization that helps the creators who provide us with such great content. Go to heroinitiative.org to find out more. And in conclusion to this verbal argument that we're having, I just want to say, please rate and review us wherever you can. Tell your friends about us or share your love for us on social media. Well, I guess we've had a dialogue that we should wrap up very well now with this this friendly argument by saying, and as always, we want to thank the powerful people in our packs. My wife, Cindy, our daughter, Carrie, and our cats, Toby, Bert, and Grace. My fiance Hillary, our daughter Aurora, and our cat Herbie. And I'm thinking my cat Gizbo. We, we love, love you. you. And I tolerate you, cat. Until next time. Costumes off. Our theme music is 80s action. Also featured in this episode is Shemanastic. All music is by Kevin McLeod at Competech.com and is licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 license. There you go. Dun, 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 All right, there we go. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, you gotta finish it, man. That's I. <laughs> I know. I'm like, why'd you stop? <laughs> into our DNA. Why'd you stop, Sean? Finish it. You want me to do the whole thing? <laughs> You're good. You're good. I have to tell you though, I'm so right. tempted when you guys, one of you makes your pick to be like, dumb. <laughs> awesome. If you guys had a guess, yeah, and one of you was yeah, like, I love panel three of page six, and the person was like, morons. <laughs> Idiot. Yeah, wow. Loser. <laughs> wow, never. <laughs> I bet you like vanilla lattes as well, basic. <laughs> you know, uh, those are romance novels. I active, I was friends of mine uh, would read those, and this was years ago, but I uh, actively made up a storyline where I was like, ah, and I just came up with some stuff, and they're like, I think I've read that one. <laughs> Like it was a time traveling uh, Highlander and a Scotsman and and uh, an archaeologist and they <laughs> fell in love. Money off yeah. that book, actually. And then it, yeah, and then it became. It was like I think I've read that, and then it seems like it exists. So. <laughs>